In the spirit of reconciliation, Endometriosis Australia acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hey, how you doing? I hope you're feeling good. My name is Ellie Angel and welcome to another episode of Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. This podcast made for Endometriosis Australia and it's been a huge couple of weeks for us. We have been acknowledged as the country's leading patient advocacy group for those living with endo and we've been successfully recognised by the Australian Government and Department of Health as the peak body for the endo community in this beautiful country. And the most exciting thing is that we have received... $1.328 million in funding for over the next three years to continue this work. Now, some of this money will be going to improve workplace environments for our endo patients and their employers. And the Endometriosis Australia Workplace Accreditation Program enables organisations to sustainably and strategically take meaningful action to support their employees with endo. The wonderful Danielle Howe, who is a PhD candidate, she knows her stuff. She's leading this project and I got to catch up with her to talk all about this amazing workplace program for our endo warriors. Have a listen. Danielle, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you very much for fitting us into your busy schedule because you are doing some amazing work with a team at Endometriosis Australia with the Endo Workplace Assistant Program. Uh, You are like the brains behind this, so to speak, the creator, the one that's making this happen, right? (laughs) Yeah, you're too kind. But yeah, we've got a full team working on it at the moment. But yes, yeah, I'm I'm leading the team um, as the PhD candidate on the project. You must be so, so busy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty um, It's pretty exciting. It's pretty full on. Uh, these guidelines will probably be the first of their kind in Australia. Mm. Um, and we're really developed by people's experiences themselves who really want to take a participatory, participatory approach. So lots of insights and feedback from people living with endometriosis across Australia have really gone into developing these guidelines. Very exciting stuff. So let's start from the beginning. What exactly is the Endo AU Workplace Assistant Program? So Endo at Work is a partnership between Endometriosis Australia and Western Sydney University. So we're seeking to develop a national set of guidelines that workplaces can use to better support their employees to manage endometriosis symptoms in the workplace. So as I mentioned, it will will be the first of its kind in Australia. It's really interesting. The foundation of this project was based on some research from Associate Professor Mike Armour at Western Sydney University, who's Mm. my primary supervisor on this project. Mm. And it was kind of really based around this, our understanding and this research around the that the cost of illness burden for endometriosis in Australia is nine, it costs the Australian economy $9.7 billion per year. And most of this, so roughly 84% of that cost is attributable to loss of productivity at work due to people with endo having extreme fatigue and pain um, and not being able to to work properly, Mm. which was, you know, kind of takes us to what kind of inspired us to start this project was actually it was during COVID lockdowns. um, And, you know, while everyone was kind of working from home, Donna, who is the co-founder of Endometriosis Australia, approached Mike and was like, you know, this is awful. We're all working from home. Mm -hmm. Everyone's really isolated. But 
I wonder if people with endo are really benefiting from being able to work from home and be able, being able to have this flexibility. Yeah. And so what they've done is they actually conducted a survey and we had over 350 people with endometriosis respond to the survey who were working from home. And overwhelmingly, we found that people who were with endo who were working from home felt they were working much more productively. Um, and this is because they could just take, you know, we could take flexibility, you could take breaks when you needed to, start start when you wanted to, end when you wanted to, you could work from your bed, you could mm-hmm. have a hot water bottle <laughs> on you. So these things that we're talking about, they sound so obvious. They're oh, wild. Gosh, Danielle, I feel, I feel seen. You've seen me working on my laptop while I'm in bed with my dogs next to me and a cup of tea. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. They're not. Yeah, it's nothing crazy that we're asking for, um, but it has massive improvements on our ability to work. And so that's kind of where the Endo at Work project was conceived. It was, you know, how do we create these set of guidelines that workplaces can use Mm. so that people can continue to work um, and work productively, you know, either flexibility of working from home or how do we translate this into the office or into Um, other industries like the retail space or trades or nursing. I think it's such a fantastic idea. And I know when I very first started going through the whole process of endometriosis and getting that diagnosis, and I was quite ill. I was taking a lot of days off work and at the time, and I still work for this amazing company, Southern Cross Australia, and they are so, so supportive because now they have a, a much better understanding. But when I first was diagnosed... I kept it all to myself and it was like, oh gosh, I felt like the boss was there going, Ellie's taking another day off. Like what is, what is going on? And it's, it's in my head. They're going, no, well, I'm not going to say anything because it's women's business. And then, then just one day I was like, I'm actually going to say something. I need to let my male manager know exactly what's going on. And this is a scenario I'm in. And, and it was like ripping that bandaid off first of having that chat but then there was this whole perception of well you're a bloke and you're not going to understand and and yeah it's just period pain so you should have to work and the emotional trauma of going through of dealing with someone who didn't have the understanding of it and that's not his fault at all and this is where this endo at work program is going to help in future especially with the guys to understand what is actually going on for their employees yeah exactly and you've brought up so many interesting conversations that have um, reflect a lot of the conversations we've been having with people in developing these guidelines is that, you know, you were, um, it's so isolating um, to have to go through this diagnosis because, you know, all the inequalities and under research in the, um, in our health system, uh, you know, around trust, and then take that to the workplace where you're trying to be seen as a, you know, quote unquote, good employee, but you almost feel like you have to hide this diagnosis because of its association with menstruation and all the stigmas around that. And for it being as prevalent as it is, it's so, there's no education around it. And unfortunately it is the people with lived experience who have endometriosis themselves who are really advocating and driving um, for their own policies or their own flexibility in the workplace and kind of taking on all this additional labor on top of the their own work that they have to do mm. to then educate their workplaces and say like this is endo and this is how it affects people and you know really being um, the strong advocate for that on top of having to manage their own symptoms and I think one of the key outcomes I really want from these guidelines is to have these education pieces that 
are reflective of lived experiences so people themselves in the workplace don't have to carry that burden and all and do all that work themselves and that we can have education pieces within these guidelines that really um help show how it affects someone at work Mm. um and also too I think you know conversations that we've really been having um with people in HR and um some other senior leaders what they're saying is you know we'd like to hire young people early in their careers and having these guidelines and having that education piece could also help these young people just joining the workforce um, shorten their diagnosis because mm. they they might learn about it through these guidelines and be like, wow, I think this is this is actually really reflective of my experience. So it could kind of help almost in in two ways on the two ends of the spectrum. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing you mentioned that with pe- younger people joining the workforce. I know that I've spoken openly in my environment here at Southern Cross Australia about having endometriosis, and then I've I've been contacted by a couple of staff members and even guys as well whose partners have been diagnosed with endo and there's been um, so many staff who've reached out like, oh, thanks so much because because of you, I went to the doctor and I'm going to go on and see a specialist and and it's starting that that journey to then get the answers to have an understanding what's going on and it, it then in turn is helping them with their work too. So, you know, it really does help by having these simple conversations. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, facilitating these space. And like, I mean, good on you for being able to create such these wonderful environments that people feel that they can learn and disclose as well. Because disclosure is such a huge issue. I think that's the last thing you want to do when you're feeling sick is being and in a workplace being, you know, sometimes you don't feel safe to actually talk talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then it's the mental burden as well. I know that I go through these moments of anxiety like, oh, are they going to fire me because I'm having another sick day? And then I've got to come back down to earth and be like, no, Ellie, that's not the case. You've got the most amazing team around you who will do anything for you. And I know when I'm having a flare up and I message, I work with two really closely with two amazing guys, Dan and Brad, and I know that if I'm having a bad day, I can message them. And they'll just be like, you rest, do what you need to do. We have got you covered. And it's like, thank God you have an understanding. Because I know that there are so many people who will go through this and not have that support. Oh, exactly. And I think, yeah, just I think it comes back to that education piece and really understanding what it is. Because, you know, if you broke your arm, you wouldn't be like, oh, another day of me having a broken arm. Like, I can't, you know what I mean? Like, Mm. I can't go home. Like, it's yeah it's it's because of it's 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 invisibleness and it's association with menstruation I think the wanting to push through and persevere kind of sometimes comes internally as well as externally as well you're like I don't want to be a bother but we can enable accommodations that make you work productively I think that's the whole goal of these guidelines is it's you know some days you do need a sick day you need to go home but some days you just need some really small modifications that can enable you to continue to work. Mm -hmm. So how exactly does this work? So people can get online to endometriosisaustralia.org if you scroll down you'll see the the workplace assistant program and people can register their workplace there what's the what's the process yeah so at the moment um we have so the initial set of guidelines that we've created um it's we're in this yes yeah, second year of a three-year project um which sounds like a lot but I guess um when you consider that you know these guidelines don't currently exist anywhere else and there's not a lot of uh information around there around long-term impact of them so we're really working to test and refine them. So we have a set of guidelines that we have created and Endometriosis Australia has through their workplace assistance program. So that was developed 
through roughly about a survey. It was a survey and we had focus group discussions with roughly 400 people who live and are employed in Australia who have endometriosis. So a lot of their experiences, a lot of the feedback that we got really shaped these guidelines that um, currently we have developed into the Workplace Assistance Program at Endometriosis Australia. So if your um, organization is interested, you can go to the Endometriosis Australia website and click on that and they'll do a more um, bespoke training with you on these guidelines. Over the next year and a half, two years at Western Sydney University, we're going to continue to work to refine and shape these guidelines. Um, And how we're doing that is running um, focus group discussions and interviews with um, people in HR and senior leader positions across Australia. And then we're also going to test these guidelines within a workplace in Australia and really get this in this impact data, this what outcomes, how to refine, so to really like narrow down how to make these guidelines work at a national scale. And um, hopefully in a few years time, um, we'll be working so closely with Endometriosis Australia, but we'll also work to push out a bunch of resources and guidelines and education that will be publicly available to any workplaces that want to implement these guidelines. And Endometriosis Australia will always be there to support a more bespoke training Um, for those who want that really um, extra support throughout their workplace. This is such a good idea. I'm so, so excited by this. (laughs) And I know that I emailed my HR department and was like, we need to take part in this. Make it happen. (laughs) In terms of workplaces, who can take part? It could be any any workplace across Australia? Yep, any workplace, any industry. Um, I think that's one of the main goals of these guidelines is that we had so much input across different industries that we are have given it almost like a framework that, whatever industry you're in, you can kind of pick and choose which policies work right for your workplace. And what we're often finding is for a lot of these workplaces, flexibility exists because of because of the adjustments to COVID that there is often these systems that are already in place and that what we have in the guidelines can just be adopted and embedded into your already existing systems. Mm. Um, and what really needs to come in is the education and processes. So, you know, one of the processes that we recommend is to have an endo champion in your workplace. So someone who's just, you know, driving some of the education, putting up posters around, um, ensuring that there's education awareness in the induction processes. Um, and so things like that, just, just small things like that, that we kind of provide recommendations around. Have you found there be any different scenarios when it comes to the workforce? For example, people who may work in an office environment compared with, you know, construction site, for example? Yeah, yes. That's a really great question. It is something that we are um, working on. And I think it's quite interesting because what we're finding is the office environment because because of lockdown, because of COVID, often they have the flexible working arrangements already in place. So for a lot of these organizations, adopting a new policy doesn't quite fit for them. So they're kind of more doing it through an informal process. They're using it, the rec- our recommendations to embed within their systems, where we have things like something like like the trade, like trades or offsite locations or emergency services. Mm. They're actually really adopting a much more explicit guideline and has to really come from top down and the education has to be much more specific so it has to be really how does endo affect someone in your specific industry what would the lived experience be like why is this important why should we care whereas you know sometimes in the office one they'll adopt this policy as a wider chronic illness 
So kind of going from a more broader scope where we're finding people in trades, that's because we need to be more specific about the education. We need to be more specific with the guidelines. Um, if that makes sense. So I don't know if I just... <laughs> total. Well, no, that's it's really interesting because I am very blessed to work in an office environment and I have got the ability to work from home. But I do often think of the endo patients who work in a trade or work in emergency services where they're on their feet and they haven't got that flexibility to work from home. Like, you know, if you're on a construction site, it's not like you can kind of do that stuff from your bed. Exactly. And probably less likely to disclose um not that I'm putting down the environment, the workplace environment, but you're probably less likely to disclose if you, you know, in a in that construction site environment. Yeah, because it's not really a conversation that you're probably just going to strike out, you know, and there's a lot of women who are coming into the trade and construction industry, but there's a lot of blokes too, and probably not <laughs> the conversation that you may feel comfortable having with them. Exactly. And I think that's how, when it comes to, is the approach to implementing the guidelines. So part of this entire project was looking in globally across other areas and other industries of how they have implemented guidelines or similar guidelines and what's been successful for any any other organization globally. And actually what we found was um, in the UK and EU, they've had a lot of success implementing menopause guidelines across trades, um, across the trade unions. And it's just been this wild uptake, which is um, was kind of surprising to me when I first saw the data. And actually, but what they've done is they've implemented as a occupational health and safety concern. So they've relied on the legis- the Safe Work Act, the legislation, to then say actually menopause is like you know the, some of the symptoms from menopause can be extreme like hot flashes, which then if you have someone working in the trades and constructions on a hot day, that becomes an occupational health concern. So it's Mm. actually the obligation of the workplace to really put in these guidelines to then keep their workers safe. So we're really looking at ways that we can translate this to an Australian context. So saying, you know, endometriosis has a lot of extreme symptoms as as we would all know listening to this podcast Mm. um and that should really be the how can we make this the onus of the employer as opposed to putting all that responsibility on the individual you know this is is this a um an employer responsibility and why and i think that would be one of the key ways to get compliance and a lot of these uh, workplaces for, for many of the workplaces, not just in trades, but I think even some of the really large scale organizations. I'm just looking quickly. Um, it was Spain, which was the first European country. They've just, I think it was this year that they introduced the paid menstrual leave. Uh, and I know yes. that this has also been a thing over in countries like Japan and Indonesia as well. Wouldn't it be lovely that one day in Australia we have that too, especially for the endo warriors of this country? <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting the conversation that's being had around menstrual leave. Um, because I think, you know, for some of those cases, it, it's quite interesting because, you know, part of that scoping route that I was talking about, um, we did look, take a look at menstrual leave and some of the impacts around it. And you know, while it is so useful, I feel like sometimes that can be really have unintended negative consequences because people who are accessing menstrual leave um, might then have stigmas or negative consequences, if that makes, sorry, if that makes sense. So, um, so for instance, 
what we're seeing happen in Japan where they have a menstrual leave, a lot of women aren't taking it because they don't want to be seen as less than their male counterparts. Uh, um, so it yeah. really comes down to, I think what we're, the discussion's really shifting to is not do we need, do we need leave, which I think there's a really valid argument of leave is, it can be really beneficial, but it cannot operate without also having education and it cannot operate without having the processes in place that make it a really, I think all three of those streams working together, then it helps dispel any stigmas around menstruation. It helps create a really great workplace culture where people trust each other and not just saying, oh, this person's taking a day off and I don't get anything, you know? Mm. it's. I think you really need those three interacting factors to make these policies possible and I think you know the one in Spain it's so it is really great it's like one step it's it's you know it's like one step forward two steps back or something like that like it's so great to have it but when you look into the menstrual leave you need a doctor's certificate every single time you want to take it (laughs) which is like you know what I mean it's like well if I'm unwell and I can't go to work I'm not going to go to the doctor's and get a medical certificate yeah um and it costs money Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's while it's like, you know, it's it's you can celebrate in some ways. It's also in the other ways you have to look of what else is missing. I think it's such an interesting conversation around around menstrual leave. Someone may be listening thinking, I don't want to have that conversation about my endometriosis and my period because it's such a personal thing with my boss. But what's my biggest piece of advice, and you may have seen this as well with the uh, research you're doing, Danny, is to find that person in your workplace who is that upper senior manager, whatever, find someone in HR who you trust and you can have that conversation with and get it off your chest. Because I think that the more that you keep it in, the worse it makes you feel about it and you'll just increase your anxiety levels. And it, and it's just about ripping that Band-Aid off, I think. Uh, exactly. And I think you're, you're exactly right. It's a lot of the most flexible workplaces that we're seeing or the most understanding and empathetic workplaces that we're seeing have someone in senior management who are really driving a lot of these guidelines and so I would say yeah if you're struggling in the workplace definitely there's always that one person in senior leadership who can really champion for you mm. um and often just you know we actually this is a piece of feedback we did have someone one of someone from HR um in one of our focus groups being like I know it's so hard to be like you should tell us what you're going through but like you don't understand how far along, like how much more we what we can do for you if you disclose what's actually going on mm. um And so I think that's exactly a great piece of advice if you're feeling um, really isolated at work. Um, There definitely will be someone there that you can speak to who can become your champion. You know, you can create your own set of (laughs) a lot of informal flexibility has been established. Most of the places that we've talked to um, are like, yeah, we have we have flexibility for people, but they have to come to us about it. It has to be accessed. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Start that conversation because you don't know what you don't know the outcome. It could be the best thing ever that will happen to you. And what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And if the worst could happen. Look, and if the bosses are like, they're not happy with you and then 
your hours get cut or you get sacked or anything like that, well, then we do have the workplace guidelines for endometriosis that the government implemented when we had the National Action Plan put into force. So there is that that coverage now. Yes, there's that, yeah, almost like um, like a nas- that national framework to fall back on, mm-hmm. which is exactly what we're hoping to build on and bolster that, you know, if you're struggling in your workplace, it'll be an online resource that you can access and you can, and your employer can adopt into already their existing processes. But for now, I think, yeah, there's definitely frameworks in place through that national action plan that you can go to that you say, you know, um, I think one of the drivers that we're thinking of using to demonstrate to workplaces that this is an important issue is the fact that the federal government has just put so much money into endometriosis research. Mm-hmm. They understand this, it, it, it almost proves that it's it is an issue that you need to be concerned about as a workplace because of it's so prevalent um, and because of it's the effects that it can take on a person with endometriosis um, or your employees. And if you have your employees' well-being in mind, which so many workplaces say they do, then it's like this should be top of your list, really. Absolutely. With one in nine as the stat uh, with some of the age groups as well, one in seven now, then you know that there's going to be someone in the workplace who is going to be affected by it. So what you guys are doing with the Endometriosis Australia Workplace Assistant Program, it's such a fantastic thing. And if you are able to take part, check out the Endo Australia website, register your workplace and, and get the ball rolling. Danielle, congratulations on being a PhD candidate with this at Western Sydney University. And to you and to Mike Armour, who we've had on the podcast, who is amazing. I love Mike. And also to Donna as well. <laughs> so much work is going into this and it's it's for such a good, good cause and to help our endo warriors for a better future in the workplace. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I, yeah, it was so lovely speaking with you. Danielle Howe, congratulations on all of your hard work. Couple of, how many years will it, does, does it take you to get a PhD? Uh, I think three, so hopefully hopefully not too much longer. But <laughs> Well, you should be super proud of the work you've done so far and looking forward to seeing the work that is going to be implemented in future for Aussie employees. Congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is so exciting and well done to Danielle and the team who are working so hard on this. Endometriosis Australia's Workplace Accreditation Program. This will make a huge change to the process policy and promotion when it comes to having an endo-friendly workplace. It's just music to my ears and I hope that you're going to be able to take part with your workplace. So for all of the info, endometriosisaustralia.org is the place to go to. Now, keep an eye on that website as well because we have got some more exciting announcements to share with you over coming weeks. So stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, give it five stars and share the love. Let everyone know that there is a podcast that talks all things endometriosis. We are here to share your stories and to raise awareness and to continue supporting you. So share it away. And if you'd love to feature as well, you can shoot us an email on the Endo Australia website. Have a beautiful day. Take care of yourself. And thank you so much for listening to Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. I look forward to catching you soon. Bye.